Good evening, and welcome to the Sleep with Josh podcast. It's the podcast where you sleep with Josh. I am comedian Josh Yang, and every episode I read various pieces of literature in my trademark monotone voice to help you drift off to sleep. Literature like The Dictionary Laws Various Manuals The different terms of services that Everyone agrees to, but never really reads. And other random, boring ideas. Tonight, in honor of the start of Joseph Robinette Jr.'s four-year term as President of the United States, I want to revisit Plato's Socratic Dialogue, The Republic, written around 375 BC in the cradle of Western democracy, Athens, Greece. It focused on justice, the order and character of a just city-state and the quote-unquote just man. It's nice at least to think that there will now be a more just, a less egotistical, and a more fundamentally capable person in the White House now than the guy who was there before. If you find yourself enjoying this experience, please follow this podcast on your podcast player of choice and tell everyone you know that you sleep with Josh. Because at the end of the day, The more people that sleep with Josh, the better. Now sit back, relax, and let out a sigh of relief, and think of a brighter future, because you'll get tired of this podcast. Guaranteed. Plato's The Republic. 
continuing with a dialogue between Socrates and Thrasymachus, in which Socrates asked Thrasymachus a question. You are a philosopher, Thrasymachus, I replied, and well know that if you ask a person what numbers make up twelve, taking care to prohibit him whom you ask from answering twice six or three times four or six times two or four times three. For this sort of nonsense will not do for me. Then obviously, if that is your way of putting the question, no one can answer you. But suppose that he were to retort, Thrasymachus, what do you mean? If one of these numbers which you interdict be the true answer to the question, am I falsely to say some other number which is not the right one? Is that your meaning? How would you answer him? Just as if the two cases were at all alike, he said. Why should they not be? I replied, and even if they are not, but only appear to be, so to the person who was asked, but only appear to be so to the person who is asked, ought he not to say what he thinks, whether you and I forbid him or not? I presume then that you are going to make one of the interdicted answers? I dare say that I may, notwithstanding the danger, if upon reflection I approve of any of them. But what if I give you an answer about justice, other and better, he said, than any of these what do you deserve to have done to you? Done to me? As becomes the ignorant, I must learn from the wise. That is what I deserve to have done to me. What? And no payment? A pleasant notion. I will pay when I have the money. I replied. But you have, Socrates, said Glaucon, and you, Thrasymachus, need be under no anxiety about money, for we will all make a contribution for Socrates. Yes, he replied. And then Socrates will do as he always does, refuse to answer himself but take and pull to pieces the answer of someone else. 
Why, my good friend, I said. How can anyone answer who knows and says that he knows just nothing? And who, even if he has some faint notions of his own, is told by a man of authority not to utter them? The natural thing is that the speaker should be someone like yourself who professes to know and can tell what he knows. Will you then kindly answer for the edification of the company and of myself? Glaucon and the rest of the company joined in my request. And Thrasymachus, as anyone might see, was in reality eager to speak, for he thought that he had an excellent answer and would distinguish himself. But at first he affected to insist on my answering. At length he consented to begin. Behold, he said, the wisdom of Socrates. He refuses to teach himself and goes about learning of others, to whom he never even says thank you. That I learn of others, I replied, is quite true, but that I am ungrateful I wholly deny. Money I have none, and therefore I pay in praise, which is all I have, and how ready I am to praise anyone who appears to me to speak well, you will very soon find out when you answer, for I expect that you will answer well. Listen, then, he said, I proclaim that justice is nothing else than the interest of the stronger. And now, why do you not praise me? But of course you won't. Let me first understand you, I replied. Justice, as you say, is the interest of the stronger. What, Thrasymachus, is the meaning of this? You cannot mean to say that because Polydamus, the Pancratiast, is stronger than we are and finds the eating of beef conducive to his bodily strength, that to eat beef is therefore equally for our good who are weaker than he is and right and just for us. That's abominable of you, Socrates. You take the words in the sense which is most damaging to the argument. Not at all, my good sir, I said. I am trying to understand them, and I wish that you would be a little clearer. Well, he said, have you never heard that forms of government differ, 
there are tyrannies, and there are democracies, and there are aristocracies. Yes, I know. And the government is the ruling power in each state. Certainly. And the different forms of government make laws democratical, aristocratical, tyrannical, with a view to their several interests. And these laws. Which are made by them for their own interests are the justice which they deliver to their subjects, and him who transgresses them, they punish as a breaker of the law and unjust. And that is what I mean when I say that in all states there is the same principle of justice, which is. The interest of the government, and as the government must be supposed to have power, the only reasonable conclusion is that everywhere there is one principle of justice, which is the interest of the stronger. Now I understand you. I said. And whether you are right or not, I will try to discover. But let me remark that in defining justice, you have yourself used the word interest, which you forbade me to use. It is true, however. That in your definition, the words quote, "of the stronger" are added. A small addition, you must allow," he said. Great or small, never mind about that. We must first inquire whether. What you are saying is the truth. Now we are both agreed that justice is interest of some sort. But you go on to say, of the stronger. About this addition, I am not so sure. And must therefore consider further. Proceed. I will. And first, tell me. Do you admit that it is just for subjects to obey their rulers? I do. But. Are the rulers of states absolutely infallible, or are they sometimes liable to err? To be sure, 
he replied. They are liable to err. Then, in making their laws, they may sometimes make them rightly, and sometimes not. True. When they make them rightly, they make them agreeably to their interest. When they are mistaken, contrary to their interest, you admit that. Yes. And the laws which they make must be obeyed by their subjects. And that is what you call justice. Doubtless. Then, justice, according to your argument, is not only obedience to the interest of the stronger, but the reverse. What is that you are saying? He asked. I am only repeating what you are saying, I believe. But let us consider. Have we not admitted that the rulers may be mistaken about their own interest in what they command, and also that to obey them is justice. Has not that been admitted? Yes. Then you must also have acknowledged justice not to be for the interest of the stronger when the rulers unintentionally command things to be done which are to their own injury. For if, as you say, justice is the obedience which the subject renders to their commands, in that case, O wisest of men, is there any escape from the conclusion that the weaker are commanded to do not what is for the interest, but what is for the injury of the stronger? Well, nothing can be clearer, Socrates, said Polymarchus. Yes, said Cladophon, interposing, if you are allowed to be his witness. But there is no need of any witness, said Polymarchus, for Thrasymachus himself acknowledges that rulers may sometimes command what is not for their own interest, and that for subjects to obey them is justice. Yes, Polymarchus. Thrasymachus said that for subjects to do what was commanded by their rulers is just. Yes. Cladophon. But he also said that justice 
is the interest of the stronger. And while admitting both these propositions, he further acknowledged that the stronger may command the weaker, who are his subjects, to do what is not for his own interest. Whence follows that justice is the injury quite as much as the interest of the stronger. But, said Clytophon, he meant by the interest of the stronger what the stronger thought to be his interest. This was what the weaker had to do, and this was affirmed by him to be justice. Those were not his words, rejoined Polymarchus. Never mind. I, Socrates, replied, if he now says that they are, let us accept his statement. Tell me, Thrasymachus, I said, did you mean by justice what the stronger thought to be his interest, whether really so or not? Certainly not, he said. Do you suppose that I call him who is mistaken the stronger at the time when he is mistaken? Yes, I said. My impression was that you did so. When you admitted that the ruler was not infallible, but might be sometimes mistaken. You argue like an informer, Socrates. Do you mean, for example, that he who is mistaken about the sick is a physician in that he is mistaken? Or that he who errs in arithmetic or grammar is an, is an arithmetician or grammarian at the time when he is making the mistake? in respect of the mistake? True, we say that the physician or arithmetician or grammarian has made a mistake. But this is only a way of speaking. For the fact is that neither the grammarian nor any other person of skill ever makes a mistake insofar as he is what his name implies. They none of them err, unless their skill fails them, and then they cease to be skilled artists. No artist or sage or ruler errs at the time when he is what his name implies. Though he is commonly said to err, and I adopted the common mode of speaking. But to be perfectly accurate, since you are such a lover of accuracy, we should say that the ruler, insofar as he is a ruler, is unerring, and being unerring, always commands that which is for his own interest. And the subject 
is required to execute his commands. And therefore, as I said at first and now repeat, justice is in the interest of the stronger. Indeed, Thrasymachus. And do I really appear to you to argue like an informer? Certainly, he replied. And do you suppose that I ask these questions with any design of injuring you in the argument? Nay, he replied. Suppose is not the word. I know it. But you will be found out. And by sheer force of argument, you will never prevail. I shall not make the attempt, my dear man. But to avoid any misunderstanding occurring between us in the future, let me ask, in what sense do you speak of a ruler or stronger whose interest, as you were saying, he being the superior. It is just that the inferior should execute. Is he a ruler in the popular or in the strict sense of the term? In the strictest of all senses, he said. And now cheat and play the informer if you can. I ask no quarter at your hands. But you never will be able, never. And do you imagine, I said, that I am such a madman as to try and cheat, Thrasymachus? I might as well shave a lion. Why, he said, you made the attempt a minute ago and you failed. Enough, I said, of these civilities. It will be better that I should ask you a question. Is the physician, taken in that strict sense of which you are speaking, a healer of the sick or a maker of money? And remember that I am now speaking of the true physician. A healer of the sick, he replied. And the pilot, that is to say, the true pilot, is he a captain of sailors or a mere sailor? A captain of sailors. The circumstance that he sails in the ship is not to be taken into account. Neither is he to be called a sailor. The name pilot, by which he is distinguished, has nothing to do with sailing, but is significant of his skill and of his authority over sailors. Very true, he said. Now, I said, every art has an interest. Certainly. For which the art has to consider and provide. Yes, that is the aim of art. And the interest of any art is the perfection of it, this and nothing else. What do you mean? 
I mean what I may illustrate negatively by the example of the body. Suppose you were to ask me whether the body is self-sufficing or has wants. I should reply, certainly the body has wants, for the body may be ill and required to be cured, and has therefore interests in which the art of medicine ministers. And this is the origin and intention of medicine, as you will acknowledge. Am I not right? Quite right, he replied. And before we get into Socrates' response, which is a rather long section, this feels like a good place to stop. Thank you, and congratulations. You've just slept with Josh. But if you're still awake, don't forget to follow this podcast on your podcast player of choice and tell everyone you know that you sleep with Josh. Thank you and good night.